Welcome to the Everything EC Podcast. I'm your host, Carla Ward, and joining me today is Lisa Lalonde. She is a professor in the Bachelor of Early Learning and Community Development Degree Program at Algonquin College, and she is a principal researcher for the Reimagine Professional Learning Project. Lisa and I have a great conversation today talking all about how we need to be looking at beyond the pay for early childhood educators. We know that the pay is terrible. We know that the pay has to increase, but there are so many other things that can also be improved upon to make early childhood educators want to stay in the profession. So join Lisa and I while we dive into this great conversation. Welcome to the show, Lisa. I am so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. So before we dive in to our wonderful industry of early childhood education, can you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Lisa Lalonde. I'm a registered ECE, and I'm very proud of that title. It's something I hold very near and dear to my heart. I am a coordinator and professor at Algonquin College in the Bachelor of Early Learning and Community Development. I'm also in the process of finishing my dissertation, which uh, is a, a labor of love, but it's in the, in the process uh, in applied psychology and human development, but focusing on the early years and the early learning profession. So for me, I, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize, you know, as many of us don't know, going into our professions is what I was looking for. I had this idea of being a teacher or I always tell the joke about being on Broadway, but I can't sing. So that was something that wasn't going to go too far. And then I, you know, through different pathways, uh, found an opportunity to join early child education. And I had no idea what it was. I knew that I enjoyed working with children. I had connections with them. I was able to be compassionate and I was able to listen and be at their level. I just, I didn't know I could make a career out of it. So having had that experience and working with amazing colleagues and professionals and having great mentoring throughout that time, I was able to do that and then progressively begin teaching. So, you know, I feel an immense amount of privilege and opportunity to be able to not only have that experience with children and families and working directly with them, but also being able to help future educators learn some of those foundations as well. Amazing. And I'm sure you can agree that even though we're not necessarily, you know, one-on-one with the children anymore in the classroom, once an early childhood educator in those programs, like it is embedded in your heart, that experience is just, it's tattooed on your heart forever and always. A hundred percent. And I think that's something that I feel, again, really passionate about is that And I say this to my students or other people, it's like, it doesn't matter what letters are behind my name, that registered ECE for me is the first. It is my guiding light. It's the reason why I do what I do. And it's, it's the navigator, right? And so at the end of the day, yes, I'm a professor, but I'm a professor of this. And so it's not the teaching of it. It's the fact that these people around me are going to be doing that. A colleague of mine who was actually, again, great privilege. A lot of my colleagues were professors of mine. And so being able to have that mentoring, again, that loop and being able to return back to that has been really amazing. But a colleague and I were talking about things and he and I were both saying, you know what, we both really look forward to being uh, finding space and time to be able to return back into more time with children and educators in practice. COVID really did a lot to us in regards to removing that from us. And we're just, you know, we know people have changed. We know that children have changed. We know that the grownups have changed. We know that we've changed. Everything's changed. And we're feeling a little more disconnected to that on occasion. We're seeing things return to an even space, but it's still, it's still different. So once I get this dissertation done, my hope is to be able to spend more active time uh, with the children again, because I miss that. I mean, there's nothing like going into a toddler room, right? And just like, just being present for, uh, yeah. 
100%. There is something so magical about being in the presence of children. I know that as adults, we're the ones that are there to guide them. But there has been so many moments in my life where a child has asked a question or pointed something out that was just so innocent, where you kind of almost stumbled as the adult and was like, hold on, you are 100% right. Like life really is that simple sometimes. And they know the basic needs of what we all as adults and children and human beings need. And it's love, it's connection, and it's each other. And 100% COVID derailed that on a huge level. And yeah, like you, I cannot wait to get back into it. I am in the process of looking for volunteer experiences to get back to music circles and reading. I miss doing that with children because my husband doesn't like it when I read out loud to him. He would much rather <laughs> go read out loud somewhere else. <laughs> you can never have too many people reading. And I think that's something that, you know, it's very easy to look in retrospect and be like, it was really hard. Those were really hard years. And they're still, we're still recovering, right? And everybody is. But a couple of the big pieces is one, we've all experienced trauma. And that's the, the piece that I, you know, share with my students. I share with my colleagues. I share with anybody who I'm talking to, other parents. And being like, we all experience trauma. It does, even if we did well during it, we experience trauma and that alters relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, every moment I will come back to Jean Clinton and uh, Dr. Jean Clinton and her brilliance around the relationships and her wisdom around that, because, you know, when we can stop and allow ourselves to be present in those moments, right? And that's something that we, we can all get really busy. Educators have a lot to do. They're constantly, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next, but allowing ourselves to build systems, to build opportunities and experiences where we stop and breathe and where we're present. And I wasn't great at that as an educator. I'm like, by no means that I, I think I was a pretty decent educator, but I was what was coming next and how is this and having that really high energy. But something that I'm really mindful of is that as you said, the learning alongside children, instead of the idea that we're this expert that has to know all and be all is really one of my life goals at this point is in changing practice. And we have the foundation. We don't even have to do the research on that. We know working alongside, we have great pieces of from Reggio Emilia. Again, we have great neurolo- uh, neurobiological pieces that are saying, hey, let's get those nervous systems just a little more regulated by being co-regulators, right? Like let's co-create, let's do those pieces. And so those type of things excite me, but I do think educators have to be given permission for that. And I think we have to deconstruct some of what we think we know. And also, and I'm the first to put myself on the sword, some of the things that we've been taught, right? There's this big idea that we need to be the experts of everything. And really we're not. And that's not to suggest ECs are not amazing. And they know a world of knowledge that we couldn't imagine, but we don't have to know everything to be really good, right? We need to know lots and we need to be that willingness, that curiosity to learn more. And that allows us to be alongside a child versus, you know, follow me and do. And, and, it, and we get sucked into that really quickly. So, oh, and when we get to that moment, it makes teaching so much more fun. My last four years of teaching, I really embraced that, especially the Reggio Emilia. Like once I started really studying and looking at Reggio Emilia inspired practice, I was able to sit in my classroom and essentially I didn't do this, but have coffee with my students. It was as if yeah. we were hanging out and having genuine conversations. And I got to know my students on a level that I can honestly say I did not get to understand or learn from the students I'd had the 10 years previous. Like this was just a whole nother connection and it was beautiful. And it was probably my least stressful teaching years 
ever, despite being a busier class, probably my favorite ever. There's a element of surrendering almost, right? And it's something that we are not, and I, I, you know, I really, again, know the privilege I have in, in teaching. I teach in a degree, right? There's four years. And so we're, we build on these skills and, you know, the, at the, at the very most, the registered ECs when they're done, that's the most important piece, yeah. but it's allowing us to deconstruct some of these ideas and knowing where we're coming in from with, because mm-hmm. reality is, is we don't just show up, right? We didn't just end up someplace. Sometimes it might feel like that. I have, I'm not going to lie. I've been to a lot. I make the joke. I have been to school forever. Like I've never not been in school. I need to finish. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to teach in in school at this point. Right. So all of that said, you know, it's being able to really look at things that we've been taught the stories that we hold that maybe aren't actually true to right now. They might've been true 10 years ago. They might've been true 15 years ago, but they're not true right now. And being able to be present and again, and, and I say surrender, but being just open to what might happen, that curiosity is such a big piece. Right. And Again, we have such great research and evidence behind us, you know, even in local context, right? We have, you know, this beautiful thing that uh, was in the early years reports, uh, Dr. Angela Pyle, who happens to be my thesis advisor at Oise BOT, but she built this beautiful continuum of play, right? And I mean, and, you know, it's not saying it's one or the other. It's like the play happens along the way and where does it go? And sometimes it might sit better here and maybe it sits better here, but just allowing ourselves that. And I love this idea of, of more continuum versus the ages and stages and thou much must do it this way. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of opportunity, but in that it's overwhelming sometimes too. hundred percent. And I think, especially amidst a childcare crisis is, I mean, I was, I have been an ECE for 18 years. I taught up until my 15th year, I was in the classroom and it took up until year, oh, I don't know, 10 before I finally felt I had the autonomy or the Mm -hmm. backbone, let's say, to say, no, this is my philosophy of teaching. This is how I feel the classroom should be run. This is how I see the child. Like I was able to develop my own view of the child. But when you're coming right out of school and I mean, I wish a good mentor to everybody. I have been blessed with amazing mentors. Nothing can beat a good mentor at the end of the day, like hundred percent, but not everybody is that lucky. So how do we, or what can we do as mentors who have been in the field? How can we support our new grads so that they get that autonomy earlier and see the beauty in the field that we see? Yeah, you know, and that's a I, the fact that you talk about autonomy, which is really interesting. So as I was saying, I am writing my dissertation and one of the pieces of the theoretical framework, things that have, uh, it's called the self-determination theory. And one of the pieces is people become more connected to the work they do when they have a sense of autonomy. And so autonomy, relatedness, and competence. So like you said, feeling strong enough. Again, it's interesting that you mentioned autonomy because it's really important. There's actually a theoretical framework that's around this, uh, the idea of self-determination theory. And so, I mean, those are just big words for like someone who's done research on why people succeed right at the end of the day. And one of the big ones is autonomy. So again, that idea that we have some agency, that we can make some choices and that, that they're meaningful. And the other two are relatedness. So again, wanting to interact with people. So relationships, as we've already talked about. Yeah. And then the last one is competence. So again, in the statement you just made, you, you all just put them together <laughs> where it's like, I felt like I had this ability, right? So not only I was able to willing and try, I had safety around me, those mentorships, those people around me, and I felt good about it. That, I mean, this is what we do with children all the time. Right. Right. But we don't do it with ourselves. And so this is really 
you know, some of the important work that's, that's being done and needs to be done. And, you know, as, you know, as pre-service, you know, I think there's work that to be done, you know, from faculty perspective across the province, across the country, we have really diverse training requirements across the country. So as we have the, you know, national plan being put in place, every province and territory has significantly different expectations. And so that is challenging. Uh, It's challenging for research. It's challenging for implementation. And so there's that piece of of examination. Pre-service specifically in our space, I think, again, it's leaning into those, you know, where are we at? What do we need? How do we help people become ready to practice? Because in Ontario, with the College of VCEs, that is the goal, right? It's not that you're leaving as an expert. It's not that you're leaving as the one all know all. And I don't think anyone's intention is that, but we do if I'm being really raw and honest, then I can tend to be that way is I think for so long, we wanted to be identified as professionals that we just felt very hard and fast that we need to know everything and we need to stand tall and be very, very proud of our work. And I think that's something that's not wrong. And I don't think that it is, it was necessary at the time, but I think we can actually, I won't say soften, but I think we can be more curious and open and not have that. I have to know everything. And if I don't, I don't have that sense of confidence, right? It's, no, the competence will come with trial and error and experience and questions. And again, curiosity being inquiry led. So how do we switch our teaching? And I, you know, again, again, great opportunity to sit at our provincial coordinator. So all the coordinators of all the degrees and diplomas across Ontario, and there's some great things happening out there, but it's again, time and space as practitioners out there. What I would really like to see more of, and I get hundred percent. I understand how there just is not enough time in the day. I, 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 this is, you know, this is my magic wand. I often talk about if I, if I could wave the wand, you know, that those mentoring relationships, whether in practicums or placements matter, Yeah, they matter. And I know that the last thing when you're tired or you've, you just, you know, post COVID there's trauma, you have your own life, you know, you're trying to balance these pieces and having a student come in where you're not really sure the expectations, right? those things become challenging. And we've seen that. We've seen that as a challenge across the province, but we know that there's great things happening at the same time. Uh, the workforce crisis has kind of shifted to where people are like, wait a second, we really need your students yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we want to start early to make those integrations, right? So, you know, I think more conversations, more opportunities at different levels need to happen. But as a, as a registered ECE taking on a student, I think it's being curious and being open. And I think sometimes being a soft place for them to land but the, the framework that I use is I'm a, uh, and I, I got this from uh, some academic education oh. thing, but being a warm, uh, a warm demander. So having compassion, but having expectations. And honestly, it's a game changer. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it changed even my teaching practice because, you know, any students are listening, I may have high expectations <laughs> because of my profession, right? This, as you know, we look at this as everything to us. And, you know, I want to make sure that they're as prepared as possible to be critical thinkers in all those pieces. So I, you know, I can be a little bit tough occasionally, but really switching it with that compassion. So I'm, I have expectations of you because I believe in you, but I'm going to do it with kindness. And I think, you know, early child educators by nature have that. That's what we do, right? That's yeah. what we do. So continuing that, I think as an educator, if I were to take on a student again to as the first vehicle, of how I can support more people staying in the profession is having compassion for myself and having, you know, understanding that I am one person. And although I could be part of an amazing team, I need to know that I can't do everything all the time. And that Oh, is a lesson, a lesson that we all need to learn. Isn't it just, (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it's such a beautiful thing when we start to acknowledge it. Cause you're like, Oh, the laminating is still going to be there tomorrow. 
if I don't do it at 1130 at night. Oh, the children don't care that the dramatic center is the same way that it was yesterday. We're good. And that's that leaning into that continuum that I was talking about, but really being, you know, I'm very much about, you know, the observation process, understanding the development and the holistic space that those children are coming from. Again, from a culturally inclusive, you know, you know, needs developmentally inclusive space, like who are they? And, and it's not because the last group was like that. And it's not because they were like that last week. It's like each day, uh, take it as it is with a recognition, but you need to have also those relationships with your colleagues. You need to you know, have that interconnection, that communication amongst that. And so the more we become comfortable with that, the more we practice that in that, you know, self-care and that understanding of our profession, something that I am challenged by and something that I, you know, again, magic wand, I would really like to be able to support early childhood educators to have the self-acknowledgement, the self-awareness of the work that we do. And I know a lot of educators will say, yeah, I know we do the hard work, but we are also the first ones to downplay it sometimes, right? And it's like, or other people are not giving us credit where the little people around us and those families around us are, they're the ones, they're the ones who matter. We matter, they matter. Yeah. And I mean, that leads me into a whole other conversation. I'm sure we'll talk about compensation, <laughs> et cetera there, but it's like really from those, you know, the warm and fuzzies and also from like, just from, from some of those mindful pieces, like how do we shift our practice so that we can be present, right? And I think it all comes down to is when we're happy, confident when we have a sense of connection and when we have a sense of ownership and, and I, I don't really like the word but autonomy, right? Just yes. for that, like I belong here, right? Let's go back to how does learning happen? When I am using the four foundations for my practice, then I can do it for other people, children, families, my colleagues, students, the community, right? But I have to take myself with that lens first. So if I'm not building wellness in my day. And wellness is not about bubble baths, 100%. If that's no. what it does for you, right? We, we do the bubble baths, right? I mean, I've actually leaned into a bubble bath occasionally. I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. But sometimes it is turning things off and not doing the extras, right? Yeah, exactly. I always have to laugh because I have a dog and a cat and they both love to hang out in the bathtub. So if I want to take a bubble bath, oh. <laughs> I have to go in. I have to clean the bathtub. Like it is not self-care for me to take a bubble bath. So I always laugh about like that being a self-care thing because I was like, that is not it for me. But we talk about so much in early childhood, the environment. And mm -hmm. I know for myself, one of my big speaking topics that I am hired to talk about a lot is yes spaces and transforming the environment. And that was something that when I started to design my classroom, when I was the only teacher for the first time, which I absolutely loved doing, was I thought about, okay, the children could be here from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. There are some children that are there when the door opens yeah. and they are there when we close it at the end after they, well, when, once they get picked up. And the same goes for staff. There are staff that are there eight to five, seven to four. We are spending more time in this environment than we are at our own homes Monday to Friday. So when I was designing the environment, I looked at it for the children, but also for myself. So encompassing different types of lighting, different. I brought plants in from outside and what a difference that made for me to enjoy my environment and that sense of belonging, not just for the children, but also for me, right? Right back to those four foundations you just mentioned, taking care of my well-being. Did it have some of my expression? So yes, we had pictures of the children's family up, but we also had a picture of my family up because we were yes. a classroom family. So I had a sense of belonging in the program that I was in as much as the children did. And it strengthened our connection to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you mentioned that there's a couple things, as I mentioned before, 
you know, I'm in the process of, of doing my dissertation. At the same time, I'm again, great opportunity to participate in a project that's a, it's a, it's a pan-Canadian research project that's happening, looking at educator engagement. And it's, you know, we started in the summer and we're going until next summer. And one of the things we've done is a literature scan. So it's called reimagining professional learning. And this is idea, you know, that how do educators engage? And one of the first steps we did is a literature scan and review of what's out there internationally. And funny, you should mention that, that one of the big pieces is environment. The environment you work in makes a difference. And Mm -hmm. this idea of being, you know, having that engagement environment, again, we'll go back to autonomy because it's going to, it's going to leak in over and over again. And I remember as an early childhood educator, I worked in a team, but there was nothing more that I loved than coming together. And sometimes we would have time as a team to do it. Sometimes we would come in on a weekend and that was a choice we made. We were young and, you know, that was at the time made sense to us, but changing the environment for us based off of what we knew, because it just made everything different. But going back to that, one of the foundations that we saw was that engagement, but the respect for and consideration of inclusion. So I'm included in the environment. So whether that's my cultural understanding, my family dynamic, my interests, that it's not about me as the educator, but just like everybody else who's being considered, I'm part of that. And it is, we spend a lot of time in our work and those children spend a lot of time in their work and hopefully families do too. And so being able to share those pieces in professional ways is really important because it, yeah. it broadens that connection again, much deeper. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I always joke, my students could tell you, if you asked what was Miss Ward's favorite drink, they would tell you it's Starbucks. Like, it's just one of those things because we would talk about it. Well, Miss Ward, why do you always have Starbucks? Well, because I really love it. Well, why do you love it? Well, because it's my little treat that I give myself every day. And we knew that about each other. And I could have told you what every single child was for Halloween that year, their favorite colors, because we had conversations over lunch. Lunch was not just getting food in children's bellies and sending them off to their cots. It was about coming together and spending time together. Well, it's interesting that you talk about conversations over lunch because hundred percent and your example, those are, those are the sweet spots where the interactions and relationships with children, right? I'm going to flip it again. When you talked about professional learning, when you talk about like, how do we engage broader? One of the most profound practices that I had early in my career is I had the amazing manager. I mean, I have been again, very, very lucky. And I've also made some really good choices. And I'm going to come back to that, but I've been very lucky and also made some really had opportunity for great choices of where I've worked and having those environments that are healthy for me. And one of my, it's interesting, again, when you're talking about conversations and the importance about those relationships and and we know, I mean, all of us, you know, participate in that, that time, right? Because it's, it's communal, it's connected. And something that, you know, I was able to see in practice is when we flip that exact piece, but do it with the grownups. So when we talk about mentoring, when we talk about engagement, using those conversations and using meals as opportunities and those downtime as opportunities to make those connections. And in, in my career, I've had some really amazing opportunities and I've also made some really smart choices, I would say, and where I work. And I, I will come back to that in a minute, but in, in the setting that I did my predominant career in working as, a, as an educator who worked directly with children, I had managers who spent time with the staff at lunchtime. And so, you know, we had rotating lunches and they'd spend, you know, the back half of the one lunch and the front of the other one. And so they would connect and it was really, you know, I remember having a conversation because I was always really interested in leadership and I didn't know what that was going to look like for me. And, you know, we had a conversation and I will never forget her saying, you know, I'm not in the staff room just to be in the staff room. It's to make those connections and make those relationships and to hear where people are at and taking the temperature of, of the environment and being present and 
you know, I recognize how difficult that is. It has only become more difficult <laughs> in the climate, again, with the national childcare plan and workforce crisis, post COVID, we got trauma, you know, we, we've got lots, we've got lots going on. But I think that's that little, that trickle effect of reinvestment. And so that people see, feel seen and heard. And, uh, it, and it's not tokenism because that nobody needs somebody to be like, oh, I'm sitting here now, talk to me. You want a relationship with your manager and your leaders and that, and that mentoring naturally happens that way, both ways. Same with students, right? When the students feel like they can't be around you or you don't have a, a space to share, then there's not those communication pieces. And I've heard that from students myself being like, I just didn't feel like I was comfortable or welcome there. And, you know, we have the conversations so like, how so? And how could you approach it differently? But, you know, on both ends and it's never with intention, but sometimes we just get stuck in our space, right? So it's taking the opportunities and that's a form of self-care, slow down, appreciate the lunch. And if you need to disengage and, and check out, that also makes sense. But sometimes having fun, silly times in a staff room is a great energy booster, similar as it is with children. We can't always be serious all the time, right? Oh gosh, no, absolutely. And it's relinquishing this control that we have to be perfect or, you know, we have to, to your point earlier, that we have to know everything. We absolutely don't, even if we are a student's mentor. Yeah. There is so much. This was always my favorite thing about having student teachers was when I went to school way back when I was trained in theme-based. I yeah. loved having students later on because they came with so much of the new updated information that they were able to say, hey, you know, so this is what we're learning in college. And once I got over myself and that ego part and really listened, yeah. well, everybody benefited, my student, myself, and therefore the students. Yeah, it's so true. And we hear that feedback from students as well. And when, and again, it's that building of competence again, and, and that understanding. And also, again, we're on a continuum, right? Sometimes you have the little baby birds who are literally just like kind of on the edge of the nest. And then at the end, depending on the program, depending on how not what placement it is, you know, much more strength and conviction of that. But, you know, again, leaning into those opportunities, that curiosity, I'm going to use that word over and over yes. again, because the more curious we are, the more open we are. And that's, and that's something that we're really, you know, really trying to nurture and removing ourselves from this idea of perfectionism. And I recently read something. And again, it's a conversation that will be an entire different podcast, but the <laughs> idea of perfectionism is actually an action in, in racism because whose idea of perfect and for me, I went, oh, I never, I, like it was profound. And I wish I knew the author who I was reading and I feel really bad. I'll find that. But this idea that when we, when we focus on everything has to be perfect, it's something that we've been trained, taught, conditioned, but we have the ability to stop and be like, perfect is somebody else's expectation. And often a very colonial, you know, uh, Eurocentric perspective. And so Anyways, all of that said, you know, that really helped me deconstruct that there is no perfect. There is the experience you are experiencing and we can strive for, you know, greatness. And But I strive for vulnerability, compassion, and curiosity, right? And so these are actions. I can be that and still learn, you know, and that, and I want to go back to the idea of choices because sometimes I know in our sector, you know, what, what we've heard and what we see is, you know, early childhood educators do feel, you know, that there might be in environments that are not supporting them or that they don't feel that they can flourish and find these things. And I recognize that sometimes as an academic, right, I'm over here talking about like, it could be this way, but I've seen it, I felt it, I've lived it, and I want to foster it. And I think the more of that, more of that shift in our mindset and our environment as well. So with the Reimagine Professional Learning Project, we're really looking at compensation matters without question, right? We know 100%. compensation, 100%. 
but we also know that recently in, in Ontario, right, there's an announcement by, I think it was, uh, I wrote it down, 2026. By 2026, this, the base salary for early child educators is going to be 2586. So that's around 50K a year. That's a, for a two-year diploma. That's a pretty decent compensation. We always could use more, but as a baseline, I, I'm, I'm like, that's a decent start, right? So we're, we're moving towards more equitable because the workforce crisis also has been uh, recoined in, in the idea of like the decent workforce crisis. We have a lot of work. We have a lot of people who want to do the work, but we need to be decently paid and compensated. So compensation matters. And it's not a but. And there's a whole list of other things because I have with my own eyes seen people make very good salaries in the sector and some of the higher paid and unionized organizations and they leave. And so that end makes a difference. And so things like security, feeling that environment, like we talked about career advancement and, and looking at career advancement in a different way. And, you know, I often hear from my friends and colleagues in the sector, you know, taking students is a form of career advancement because you're seeing different pieces, right? It's not just a you know, our sector isn't the type where it's, you know, you do this job to become here, to become here. Like the laddering is different. And yeah, I think, I think in more research, we can maybe find more opportunities to create that, but what opportunities are there for you like yourself to become an entrepreneur or to be able to be more creative and things that really light your fire. Right. Yeah. And so seeing these pieces, that self-development, and I think the more educators have opportunity for that and, right, let's get the compensation so we feel a little more balanced, <laughs> that we feel a little more supported, and, and we can engage differently over here. And I think that will help too. Absolutely. And there's a great quote, and I wish I knew who said it, but a friend had told me this quote that she had heard is people quit people, not jobs. And that's that and piece, right? Yes. When you are supported in your job through your environment, through your your growth and development. And that's where that conversation is huge is when you are making a livable wage and can pay for your living, but then invest in yourself Yes, to be able to grow. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Like I can honestly and truly say that being an ECE really has opened hundreds of doors that those careers that do have that linear growth don't necessarily have. And when we can feed ourselves and live yeah. and have an environment that's supportive, there's nothing we can't do. Well, and, and that's the piece. And like I said, I don't want to be dismissive in any way, shape or form from the educators out there who are listening and about saying, it's like, but we're not paid enough. Listen, if, if I had the magic wand, <laughs> which, with it, we wouldn't even like the conversations there. And I don't actually think there's anybody who disagrees with that. So I know we have some great policymakers. We have some great advocates. We mean, you're so lucky in Ontario to have the advocates we do with the coalition, uh, Ontario Coalition of Better Childcare, with the AACEO. I mean, you know, we have such great advocacy on that and it's working. I mean, hats off to the ladies and gentlemen in those spaces because it has taken a long time because of environments, but it's working. And, you know, I'm actually, I'm a realist, but I'm also very enthusiastic about what our country could look like with this national plan. If things are continued to have these conversations, if more people engage in those curiosities and also pushing some of those pieces saying like, Hey, yes, sure. That's one level, but I need benefits. I need to have time to meet with my team. I need time to prep and plan. I need time to do environmental understandings. You know, I need time for professional learning. And that's where, you know, nothing makes me more excited than to being able to see students who graduate and go on and work in the sector and are in environments that are doing these things. And there are really beautiful examples of it. World-class agencies out there that are doing this, you know, full circle idea and seeing it's like, okay, it's possible. And it's the same system, right? It's the same system. 
it's just, we have to deconstruct a little, we have to get a little uncomfortable right now. And, you know, in all the conversation, we, we magic wand the compensation it's there. Let's hope in all those pieces, but how do we do that? And I think a big part of it comes to us at any point in our career and how we see ourselves as leaders. And I know the college of VCs, I was again, really fortunate to be part of many, many years ago. I'm going to say it was probably 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah. But 10 years ago, the college of VCs was part of a leadership uh, pilot. And I was, I was a, a, a mentee and I had a mentor who <laughs> I had a mentor who was just amazing. She was a, a, a prof as well. And some of the biggest lessons I learned from that was once, you know, what more, what the college of VC is and is not, and you know, what they are doing and the better mint of the bigger public good. And I'm like, okay, great. And so, you know, and, and having that relationship to say, you know what, I agree with this because my registration matters. My professional identity matters. I want it protected, but also open conversation being like, and here's how I see this perhaps where we need a little bit more, you know, as a profession, how does, you know, how does the the public, how are we protected in that way? And you know, watching that ebb and flow has been really great. But one of the biggest, strongest, most impacting things that has stayed with me through my career is, uh, and I'm not going to call her out, but I mean, I am going to say, and anyone who knows her is going to say, uh, she's this, she's retired recently. She's exuberant. She wears purple from head to toe. She had like, she's just, she's just amazing. And one of the things she taught me is it's okay just to be you. Right. And because I would be like, you know, one day I'm going to have pink hair. And she's like, why one day, you know, why one day? And I was like, yeah. Like why one day, like, you know, and, and just watching her and how she connected and, and her relationships, but also her presence in self. And I think that's something we're a female dominated sector, right? We have to go back to the very, very beginnings of our stories of who we are, how we got here. And you know, that idea of perfect, trying to shelf it as much as we can, that idea of that we're, you know, you know, quote unquote, good with children. That's not, that's not enough right? We're not just natural nurturers. You know, I know people of, of all shapes, sizes, and genders who are educators who are amazing. So we have to deconstruct our understandings of why we're here. And part of that is saying, you know, I can be authentically me and, you know, maybe I'm really good. Like you said, you, the, you know, your music circles and reading, and that's something you're like, I thrive in that. That's part of my soul. It's part of what yes. I do for me, the inquiry and the science, and also just those really, I love the challenging behaviors of being like, okay, like, what's happening for you right now? And how oh, can I yes. help that? And right. And I mean, I hear this from educators all the time and saying, you know what, when we can find a balance of that, but that comes in leadership in ourselves in recognizing, you know, right here, right now I have this capacity and I might not have all of it. And I might not be where I planned on being, but right now this is what I can do. And here's some steps. And I think we can do better. And I think, I think in, in a short period of time, we'll be able to do better in that and support people within where they're at right now. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. 100% everything. <laughs> I'm just I'm just sitting here nodding my head going, yes, yes, and yes. Good. And I think a, another component is reflection. We uh, have to reflect all the time. And when we're talking about we know compensation, right? Again, no argument, magic wand, we know compensation is gotten, it needs to happen. And when somebody leaves, it's very easy as leaders, and I've been guilty of it, to say, well, it's because they left for a higher paying job. That may very well be true. Yeah. However, if I had spent time in the staff room, if I had, you know, checked in with them a couple of times, like what was the breaking point? Was there a breaking point, right? Yeah. That pushed them out of the door a little further? Because I know for myself as an educator, I've had those breaking points. I have had amazing mentors through most of my career. 
but there were one of two that certainly made it very easy for me to say, see you later. And, and they have made me better leaders. So despite me saying that they weren't the greatest mentors, they certainly made me a stronger leader because I learned Mm -hmm. what not to do, but that reflection piece is huge. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I take a lot of stock in. And again, that goes back to all the pieces we were talking about, like who I am, my identity, you know, the sense of autonomy, the sense of relationship and the connection and the competence. And so there's a lot of thinking to it, which is really hard because we do a very physically tasking job and an emotionally and mentally tasking job. And, and, but, but at that, that is something that I am grateful for with the college of VC's expectation of continuous professional learning is I have to check myself in at least once a year. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to check myself in. And for me, I, I'm being completely honest. I have a little bit more of a, you know, I've got it attitude because I've been in school forever. <laughs> so I have to reflect on all these things all the time, but what I appreciate about it. And again, it, it it's for me, it's just that check-in, you know, and I know that moving forward, because it can get easy. I've had times in teaching and, or my, in my education practice where things were, you know, kind of an autopilot. And sometimes that has to happen, but you know, where do I stop and take inventory? And so that's been for me that, that what that leadership process. And then again, the CPL, which is, you know, they were interconnected has been really helpful for me is like, I can think about my actions and it's just having more of those spaces, something that really as gently as possible. And I want to, I want to share with educators and I share this with my students is that in the space right now, we know educators are, educators aren't staying as long in the, in their careers. And there's a, you know, obviously reasons for that. And we, and there's some really neat studies that are coming across, you know, Ontario and Canada. We know that there's some really big things that have happened this past year. And again, the, the project that I've mentioned, we're looking at places, why people stay. So we're looking, some studies are looking at why people leave, because like you said, there's some measurements in that more of a quantitative look. And then we're looking at more of a you know, stories, qualitative, what's, you know, what are the big ideas, but where can we find some themes and threads, but something short of that, that I really hope educators can see is that we have choice. And that's hard when we're not used to thinking that way. And I say to my students, choose wisely, make choices that align with you things that are, you know, that fill your cup, fill things that align with your beliefs. Like you said, your philosophy, spaces that will allow you to grow and you never know what you don't know, but you don't have to stay someplace if it doesn't align over time that you're able to be discerning, be critical, ask questions. And I think, you know, as much as it is, again, this decent workforce crisis that we're having, um, we know that we need more educators. We need more people to stay, but I think it's making those choices. And how do we find spaces that align? Because we do have some really high quality agencies throughout our province. And we see some examples of excellence. And I think part of that is being curious, dropping that expert model that, you know, you have to go in knowing everything. Mm -hmm. I know as a new grad, if I had been told, Hey, you're great. And you could do everything. And do you want to be the boss? I would have accepted it because it would have fed part of me that I wanted. And I did. Yeah, Yeah. it was. Yeah. It was a hot mess, but uh, I did it. Yeah. But I, again, luckily had mentors that said, is that what's going to be good for you? And where do you see yourself in your long-term and how do you build yourself there? And I was like, whoa, okay. Because that actually is a model that somebody else, that's a, that's a, that's a different space. So I think we have opportunity now in the early learning profession to rebuild what we want this to look like, right? I think we get to, you know, reconstruct this. I love the deconstruction. Let's, let's tear things down and say, this is where things are working. There's things that aren't working. And 
I really love distributed leadership. Everybody can be a leader in different ways and feeling that empowerment, that sense of autonomy. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I would love to know if you share this, I guess, feeling. So every time I've spoken about early childhood to people who are in our industry or even business owners, I say, I can feel that there is a shift coming to early childhood education. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I just, to my core, I know that it is going to be huge. It is going to be beautiful and it is going to change how early childhood education is perceived, how we as early childhood educators work. And I would love to know if you have a similar feeling based on what you know is coming down the pipeline. I do. I mean, I think part of that is if we don't think that, what are we doing? <laughs> right? Like, you know, what's so true, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, in my, in my team, I'm not, I'm not always the most optimistic. Like I work with people who are really like happy, like cheerful, like you've got this people. And I'm like, okay, deep breath, Lisa, you know? So I, I, I feel like I'm a realistic optimist where it's like, I, I believe that. And that's part of my curiosity is that the more I know, the more I can feel confident that there's a reason to do this. And yes. honestly, I don't think I could do my job if I didn't believe exactly what you said. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable or ethical to be like, Hey, guess what? Go do a job that you're never going to like, you know, like I am passionate about the work I did. And I, you know, I, I, this ages me. I hate the, Oh, when I was first hired, this is how much I made. It's not about that. I think it's, you know, really, you know, again, focusing on compensation in regards to acknowledging the compensation matters, the compensation is shifting and changing. So we're seeing that it is decades coming behind, right? So again, those advocacy groups have done so much for that. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the government's acknowledging some of it. So the work's still to be done, but we see it. So it's like, okay, there's a check mark. We just have to get there, right? So in the next couple of years, money is increasing. Great. So we see that. I think the next piece really for me is... How do we hold ourselves up, right? How do we fill ourselves in and, and how do we see, how do we rebuild this idea that what was, was, and what is, can be, and there isn't any shoulds in between, right? I think one of the practices that I really try to enforce in, in our program of enforces with our students is this idea of being researchers. And we do this with children, again, inquiry-based learning, right? It's like children as researchers. I support educators as researchers Every and that's time. not stuck in a lab, right? I mean, again, if you do it and that's what if that's what makes you you glow, then do it. But educators asking questions, feeling comfortable, confident, supported. And I think we can make those environments because it is just mind shift often. Again, we need more dollars being invested into the system so that we have prep time, so that we have, we know a time where teams can meet and discuss so that educators can have that autonomy and relationships with families to meet with them more frequently. We need to have the infrastructure in that. I've seen it. It can happen. It's totally viable. But I think it's fair to say to the government, hey, we need more. And yep. why not? Right. We've seen models of that, but I think we have the opportunity to become much greater and much bigger. And there's often these parallel conversations about, you know, early childhood education in the school system. And then we're not parallel. We're different. And I want to be different. I want that wheel to be broken. I hats off and credit to the education system. We're internationally known for having free access, et cetera. But early learning in Canada. We are on the beginning steps, right? There's lots of foundation laid. We know the research. No one has to prove that the first six years of life are really important. That, yeah. that we, we have that. No one needs to prove every dollar in there's six to $9 return, depending on the economist who does it. We have the math. So now it's the do. Yep. And so we're doing, we just, we need the infrastructure around it and, and it's coming. You know, we have some great advocates on many different levels, but I think we need to hold ourselves together. I think we need to 
hold each other, you know, not accountable, but in, in compassion with one another and saying, I like my job. And recently uh, a mentor of mine as well, Jane Bertrand, who was one of the principal writers on the early learning for every child today, the elect way back when, and she's, you know, she's just brilliant. She talked about that. And she said, look, you know, when you're a registered DC, when you're an educator, wouldn't it be great to have more people come out and say that first? And I was like, and that's why I was like, yeah. And around the table, we're like, we do And She's like, yeah, we need to do it more. So first and foremost saying, I am a registered DC. I'm an educator. I work with children. I work with families. I work with colleagues. I work with communities and making those interconnections. But I do. I think there is greatness coming to us. And in our lifetime, I think that we need the stamina. We need, we need the permission to celebrate our successes, every little one of them and, and, uh, and not diminish that there is a system that needs to be there to support them as well. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for educators to do. (laughs) It is a lot, but it's not impossible. And that's what makes it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm mindful that I have a, a job that I'm not working directly with children every day. I recognize that that physical taxing, that mental load is, is very, very there, much there present, but I, you know, I look forward to the opportunities. And again, with, through these many projects that are out there, but again, specifically with reimagining professional learning, you know, looking at alternatives, moving away from the you know, the drive-through mentality of professional development, right? And it's not that those things were not good, but really looking at how do we build a system where educators thrive together in their space, where they build together, where they co-regulate, where they co-create. Internationally, there's some great examples and we've been able to pull those, which is exciting. And so we have lots to share over the next year about that, but uh, there's, there's an opportunity out there for everybody. And I think everybody has a little niche, a little space, a little interest, a little curiosity of what really lights them and finding more opportunity to do that daily. And Lisa, I know that reimagined professional learning is still a work in progress, but Mm -hmm. how can we stay up to date, follow the journey, contribute to anything that's happening around there? Absolutely. So we have, we have some social media on Facebook and on Instagram and it's, it's at reimagined PL. And I'll make sure you guys have the link for that. And we regularly update that in regards to where we're at. One of our goals in it is to be sharing information as we go on. So as we did our scan of literature and our lit review, we shared the the bite-sized pieces of it and said, this is what we found. Here are the eight things that we see as compensation. And so here are the things that are in end. So right now, if you went on Instagram and looked at it, that's all posted there. We're also on LinkedIn and in the new year, we will be sharing a survey that's going to go across Canada that we're looking for early childhood educators. So across the country, provinces and territories saying, you know, what's important to you? What, what has engaged you? What have you seen? What have you experienced? And following that, we're going to start and we are going to ask people if they want to be part of interviews too, and, and getting stories of what their experiences are. So by the end of next summer, so we're looking at like August, 2024, how is it 2024? Already? I know. Honestly, <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. I was like, what? I know it's like weeks away, but yeah, August, 2024, we hope to have a report and uh, be able to share that. The other space where we're sharing is my colleague and I who are working on this project have been um, accepted to present at the world forum in BC. So the world forum on early childhood education uh, in BC. Congratulations. Thank you. In May, in April. So I can share the link for that as well. And, and I mean, I know some people can attend not and people in Vancouver area would obviously have more opportunity there, but we're Really excited to be able to connect with people internationally as well to see what they're doing and how, you know, because we know around the world, people are at different stages of this. So really trying to learn from experiences. That is amazing. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you are doing, because it certainly contributes towards that shift 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. And I'm, again, I feel 
I feel the, an amount of privilege that I can't even explain to be part of this profession. And, you know, every educator, you know, as a parent, you know, I have educators in my life on different ends, right. As, you know, as a colleague, as a professor and all these other pieces where, you know, I know it's not said often. And I know sometimes it feels like it might be a little bit surface, but it's like, we really do. We really do make a big, big difference. And I mean, it's not very articulate, but it's like, it is daily, especially as a parent, I, I can say daily going into the space where my daughter is and where my son has been and being like, there isn't any other point in their life where they're going to have care like this, where they're going to have experiences like this. And it's being an educator. I know that, but then feeling it is it's, it's, it's quite profound. So I'm going to thank everybody else for supporting me in that and also uh, supporting the families around them. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it. And I will make sure that all the links for your research and you personally is available for everybody to follow. Thanks so much.